y'all. My goodness, it has been a minute. Yes, we are still on break for the summer, but if you did not know, I have been hosting a series of conversations on YouTube around the content of Selah. And I know some of y'all are not connected to the email list yet, sis. Sis, what are you doing? What's going on? Go in and click the link below, get on the email list. But for those of you who are not connected to the email list or even on social, you may be wondering, what is Selah? And y'all, Selah is the Bible study that I have written on First and Second Samuel that is releasing this September. So excited, y'all. <laughs> And today I have some friends with me. And y'all, I have to tell you, they are so gracious and so kind because I have the most beautiful video footage ever that I was so excited as I was beginning to edit until I realized there was one problem. You couldn't hear one thing that anybody was saying. <laughs> and so well, they have given me their time and come back so that we can re-record this, but they're not all here. So if you want to see a little bit of our time together in person, you can head over to YouTube. I'm going to link it below. And then uh, we're just going to continue the conversation right over here because it was way too good. It was way too good not to bring y'all in. I am also going to link the other conversations down below as well, because we have covered everything from the challenges that you experience when you answer your calling to issues that you may encounter as you really develop friendships and the need to keep pressing in all the way to what idolatry and witchcraft looks like in our society today as well as suicide in the scriptures and so you're going to see other conversations come out as well around covenant and praying through the psalms but this one today is all about identity in christ and you know i love what katie westenberg the author of but then she remembered pointed out in her most recent book but then she remembered and that was just that identity is a modern phenomenon if you look in the bible you won't find any references in the scripture to our identities in christ identity has grown from over the past 15 years exponentially. And it is now a word that we use just about every single day of our lives, but it hasn't always been the case. Still, it is a thread we see throughout scripture. And there are some characteristics that help us to just develop our identity in Christ. And so if you want a resource to uncover identity specifically further, I definitely recommend But Then She Remembered by Katie Westenberg. However, identity is one of those themes that arises in First and Second Samuel. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're looking at Saul and the issues that he had with people pleasing and how his identity was found among the other people whom he was looking to for admiration and appreciation, 
or we're looking at King David. Both of them struggled with identity and issues therein. There is a portion that we're going to deal with quite a lot in the Bible study about the time that David went and spent in the enemy's camp, about the time that he actually began to plot against his own people, the people he was supposed to be um, reigning king over once Saul had passed. We're going to talk about it. And then you all know uh, later on, he got wrapped up in an issue with Bathsheba. And a lot of times we can begin to believe that our identity is associated with our mistakes. And that just isn't the case. So I'm incredibly grateful that these women have joined me. I'm going to ask them to talk because I am not going to be doing all of the talking today. But ladies, my goodness, thank you so very much for being here. I'm so incredibly grateful to you. Would you tell us a tiny bit about you and how you fell in love with the Lord? So I'm December. Um, I am a mother of five children, and I always laugh at that because um, I didn't birth five children, but I was a, I birthed two, a foster mom and then adopted mom, and so I just feel like I'm just the all-around mom right now. That's the season I'm in, and um, been married for 15 years to my amazing husband, mm. and I, I come from the field of education. I, I was a teacher and a principal, and then I went into counseling. So that's pretty much about me, but how I fell in love with God, I think it just keeps going is I don't, every time you, I hear, if I, someone asked me that question, I, I can't pinpoint when I fell in love with God because it just keeps happening, you know? Um, but I did get saved when I was eight and I meant it. Like I, we were at a tent revival, one of them old school tent revivals in the eighties. And, um, I remember being like, he's calling me <laughs> and I got saved. And I remember at that moment, I knew what that meant. And I, it meant like I was going to live my life for God for the rest of my life. Um, so I, I gave my life to Christ at eight, but I think I fell in love with Christ when I was 19. And and he just, how he just fathered me. I didn't have a father. So at 19, if you're speaking about identity, that's when you're really going through some identity stuff, right? In college, sororities all around. And I just, I I felt God tapping me on my shoulder saying, don't fall into all those traps. Just Just love me more. And I fell in love with him when I was 19. Mm, so good. So good. Well, I will step up. I'm Christine Fredo Coleman. Um, my daughter is Desiree, who was on the, the initial call. And she and I authored a book, um, Just Believe, Every Summer Has a Story. And from the birthing of that book, we developed um, a wonderful mother-daughter relationship, not that we didn't have it our whole life, but we really felt the calling that God wanted us to steward some mothers and daughters and um, help make fun of, you know, uh, these relationships, which we tend to struggle in. Um, and aside from that, uh, I, like December, was young. I, I, was introduced to God such, at such a young age. And to me, falling in love with somebody means you're in relationship with them because you really develop that love for somebody through relationship. And that is what happened with my family. So I had a family who had established a relationship with God and it was easy for me 
it was very natural to establish that relationship with God. And like December said too, it's a growing, it's a constant, you know, uh, immersing yourself. I'm sort of an audio learner. So, you know, I listened and, you know, they say hearing the word of God is what builds your faith. And that really was my, my whole journey with God was, you know, I fell in love with him because I just believed I had a faith. And of course I named my book just believe because that's really just how it was for me and my daughter. We just had that incredible faith and, um, you know, just, I can't even express how much, <laughs> I can't even speak about it without really trembling at how much I adore the Lord and how grateful I am for who he is and, and, and what he has done for us as, as followers. Love it. Love it. So glad that you're here. We're definitely missing Desiree, but I'm really glad you're here. So thank you for sharing that. I totally relate to what you're saying. It, it When you finally get that relationship, it completely changed your love for God at such a deep level. I am Timberly Gray and um, I have two grown children. <laughs> My husband and I um, have co-founded Living Our Priorities and um, that living our priorities is actually a, the fruit of my love for God. Um, I like December, you know, was saved at a very young age. I had a fan, my mom was in the school of ministry. We had a family where, you know, five, six days a week, we were at church and it was just what was expected <laughs> at 18. I couldn't wait to get up, get out and do what I wanted to do. And I love God, but I still wanted to do my thing. And I'll just repent for that later. Um, so I am really that child. So whoever's listening and you have that child that is just off the chain, Proverbs 22, six, when they grow old, they will not depart. It doesn't mean they won't deviate or, you know, go different course. Um, but it was, I think in my twenties where I realized when I was out of my own, I was married, having kids that the life I was living was not the life I wanted. And I was desperately seeking God. And I always tell my kids that season of my life was PR before personal relationship, because everything about my life after that has completely changed because of this personal relationship with God, being able to um, find a mentor at church to disciple my husband and I, which completely saved our marriage, saved our life, which is why we developed um, living our priorities to help people live within the priorities of God to the point where God's priorities become their priorities, because that love for him was just such a deep conviction for us. And it really set the stage of everything we said and do going forward. And so I'm the child that gives you hope for your children. <laughs> better going out doing what they want. Um, but when you do fall in love with him and you see him as your homie, as your friend, it does totally change the religious thought you have about God. And now it's not so much about obeying rules, but I want to obey you because I don't want to disappoint you. And that completely changes the game. Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, I am one of those case studies as well. So thank you for sharing so transparently, ladies. You know, one of the things that never fails to surprise me is how 
confident David was in his identity in the Lord in an early age. I mean, when he encountered Goliath, he just knew that the Lord was going to fight that battle. Despite the number of challenges he experienced, he just had this knowing of who God was and who he was in God. What kinds of verses have helped ground your identity in the Lord? I'll let Christine start. You will. I'm going to read the scripture just so I just don't want to trip over any words because to me, this is the foundational um, thing that helps me stay in my identity in Christ. And it's from 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul explains so clearly, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God in Christ. I can't say that with enough emphasis on that great exchange as, as uh, Martin Luther said. And it was an exchange he didn't have to do. He was comfortable. He was on that throne. He was in heaven. He was with the Father and the Spirit. And yet he came and took on this flesh and the hardship and everything to give us his standing at the right hand of the Father. To me, without that, I have to rely on me. That's just going to fail. It's just never going to work. So my reliance is completely on what he did. It has nothing to do with me. It used to bother me so much when I used to hear that scripture that said, um, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And then the person would say, but Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name and I, and I healed in your name and I testified in your name. And he, and he said, I, I never knew you. And I had to think to myself, why did he never know him? Because it was all about I. I did this for you. I did that for you. I did. And it was never about him. He didn't mm. know. We have only to stand in the righteousness of God in Christ. And he do it so. We have everything. So if you ever wanted everything, that's what it is. And I apologize, but I'm overwhelmed by the love of God that he sent his son. And the only thing that makes me well up as much about that is one time when my daughter got hurt as a little girl, she got hit across the face with a baseball bat at full speed. <laughs> She was a mess, you know, bloodhead from head to toe. And she was white as a ghost because of how much blood she lost. And when my father came to the house to see her, she was laying in a bed and her face was completely disfigured. And he dropped to his knees and he said, if I could take her place. That's the love. That's our identity. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Christine. Um, yeah. I think with something you said in there, it was, it was, it, it's not on us. Um, and he did it all. Like those two things stuck out to me and it re- they really, really moved me listening to you share that because I think that that's, that is the heart and probably some of the problem with um, people struggling with identity today because they feel like they have to make their identity and it's not God making their identity, which speaks to, I know you, we were supposed to pick one scripture that spoke to our identity, but I have two. And I know I mentioned earlier that I was an educator for some time, but I went to college to be an engineer. And so I just love intentionality and in, in when someone creates something, right? It's like a creation in their mind. And then, then you get a drafter to draft up the plans and then it becomes this building construction site and then it's an actual whole piece. And so one of the scriptures that I absolutely, I think even when I was younger, it just really, really spoke to me um, is Ephesians 2 and 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So anytime I'm struggling in a season with me, I keep the thing that keeps me strong is just thinking, okay, first of all, like I didn't create myself. He created me and he did it beforehand before I even knew he was going to do it. And he had work for me in advance for me to come and do. So I need to do that. And what connects to that as well is Jeremiah is, um, when I formed you in your mother's womb, I had plans for you. And what I always think of is, Am I doing the plan that the creator, the greatest engineer of all time, right, um, engineered for me to do on this earth? And when he put me in my, my mother's pl- womb and he had a plan for me, am I, am I doing that? Am I on that plan? And it, it always speaks back. To, it always pulls me back in when somebody offers me this amazing like position or, oh, we need you to do this. And I feel like I'm so confident and, and capable of taking on this job. And I go to pray and the Holy Spirit is like, first of all, we didn't cre- be hand- prepare that beforehand for you to do. And that's not the plan we formed in your mother's womb. So no, and I have to check myself. <laughs> but but the job sounds amazing. The, cur- the offer sounds amazing. It'll make me look so good. People will get to know me. Look at the audience it will bring. I, I mean, all these things go through my head and it just will really, really mess with you, especially speaking to your identity. And God's like, chill out. I got you. I, I prepared this for you. I am, I am the crafter. I crafted your life together. And, and, and I need you to walk in that. And every time I find myself walking off the plan or that he, he prepared for me to do, I am not, I'm not at peace. I'm not at peace with who I am as a wife. I'm not at peace with who I am as a mother, just in my own physical form. So I found by me staying in the path that God has prepared for me, my identity is always intact. It's when I'm, it's when I've accepted something that I think is going to bring me this amazing, like accolades and, you know, all these great, you know, rewards and eyes. It's when I'm struggling in my identity. And that's when I know I've either taken something I wasn't supposed to take, or I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Mm. Did he give you his approval to do that we Mm -hmm. want to definitely make sure that we are always seeking his face so thank you that was amazing uh for me one of the scriptures that um 
that I stand on or was the biggest reflection for me in re relation to identity is not a, a one of the typical scriptures that most of us choose when it comes to identity. It came to me when I was doing a sermon on God's excellence and it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, specifically in the Amplified Classic Edition. And it says, and all of us as with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are constantly being transfigured into his very own Im image in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. And I remember studying and reading this and I just had this aha moment of the Bible, the word of God is our mirror. And like the natural mirror, mirrors don't lie. Um, the word of God is our mirror and who I am in Christ is in the word of God. Now I may not identify with it. I may not like it, <laughs> but the truth is this is who I am. And that just clicked, um, that one particular week that I was studying it out. And I was like, wow, all the things that I struggle with of identifying, you know, many of us don't, we don't doubt that God can use people. We doubt that God can use us. And so when I read through the scriptures and I doubt that I am the righteousness of God, or I doubt that I can do all things when I'm in those places where I'm not supposed to be <laughs> thinking that I can't do something, that's because I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. But when I'm in the right place and it's hard, I can do all things in Christ. That comes when I recognize that the word is the mirror. And if this is who God says I am, this is who I am. But there are seasons where some of us are good in one area and we're still struggling in another. Like we may be, you know, big um, faith warriors in prayer, but maybe we struggle when it comes to finances or, you know, we can believe for other people, but when it comes to believing for ourselves. And so I recognize that sometimes several times a day, I need to check who I am because how quickly we forget just like think about how many times we check our hair, our face, our makeup in the mirror several times a day. You just saw yourself this morning, didn't nothing change, but you're like, my hair is out of place. My makeup's out of place. I'm sweating. I'm a hot mess. Well, same with our spirit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm, you know, walking in strife and I'm angry and I'm not being loving. Am I being judgmental? Am I not being kind? Um, we have to check ourselves in the mirror, the word of God. Um, and that that has just been my identifying scripture um, since several years ago, just recognizing, wow, the word of God is my mirror. And whether I accept it or not, this is who I am. And every day is the why it says, it says, you know, that we are constantly being transfigured into his very own image. We're constantly being transfigured whether we want to or not. And if, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus and for him laying that down. And like Christina said, we didn't have to do nothing for it. You know, no. we live in a society where you don't get something for nothing. And it's hard for people to fathom that because they want to know what's in it for them. Um, so grateful that the foot of the cross is open to everyone. Mm, so grateful that the foot of the cross is open to everyone. I know I definitely am as well. I think for me, my identity was found so very often in one of two extremes. It was either found in the alcohol that I was consuming to just hide the depression and 
the self-loathing and uh, just the areas of issue that I was having as a teenager. Um, but then on the other side, it was found in all of the accompl accomplishments that I was striving after trying to prove my worth to people, trying to get them to respect me, trying to make something of myself. And I'm really, really grateful that my mom taught me to pray when I was young. I mean, I was so excited. It was the, the biggest day of my little three-year-old life when I learned to memorize the Lord's Prayer because it was the principle and the discipline of prayer that I would later learn would carry me through all of my areas and my issues with identity and who I was called to be. And my goodness, you know, what was crazy was it was a lot easier to give up that alcohol when I truly came to the Lord in Christ and renewed my relationship with him than it ever was to give up those accomplishments. And every now and then I still find that he's yet pulling back layer after layer after layer of these just these areas that I have developed and attempted to grow and I guess put on so that others might respect me you know as someone that was bullied for a majority of my life it's just the one thing i suppose i always wanted was that people would see my worth that people would see um how sweet i am how fun i am how cool i am how much i love to celebrate others and it wasn't until the lord gave me second corinthians 12 9 through 11 that i realized that i don't always have to be strong that i felt as if i'd finally surrendered to his choice to pull back these layers and i mean you know it's 15 years after I moved, first moved to Las Vegas, when I first surrendered, that I still feel him pulling back these layers. Um, our friend Tori, who's not here today, and I email one another often, and you know, I'll say, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I just sent this email. But it's just yet another area that he's, he's pulling back layers and telling me, child, you don't have to strive. You don't have to accomplish anything more. You are enough. And that doesn't always mean that I feel like I'm enough. But when we read 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, we see that Paul says, but he said to me, as Paul is praying that this thorn be taken out of his side, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that was actually nine through 10. Um, but my goodness, that has been my story. And so now I share testimonies that sometimes my family members are like, Liv, why are you sharing that? And I'm just like, because if it could help one person in my weakness, I know that his strength is perfected and I no longer have to strive for someone to try to like me, strive for someone to try to look up to me. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to get them to look at me. I'm trying to get them to see him.
Once he was grown, y'all, we've already hinted at it. David struggled with his identity in the Lord on more than one occasion. There's this poignant um, phrase that he shares toward the end of the book of 1 Samuel when he's talking to Saul in their last interaction. And he says, in chapter 26, verse 19, it says, now may my Lord the King please hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. But if it is the people, may they be cursed in the presence of the Lord. For today, they have banished me from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and worship other gods. And my goodness, that always just wrecks my heart because you know this man once so secure in his identity in the lord had been just so struck by sorrow by the amount of crimes committed against him by the people that he began to do what they shared that was the first time that he chose to go and live in the land of the philistines and what was interesting is that he actually begins to pay homage to king akish and we know what the word tells us you cannot serve two masters david was living in rebellion but my goodness it occurred after decades of being mistreated and rejected. And I just bless God that he never left him. What kinds of challenges have y'all encountered that have just caused you to question who you are? I mean, that is such a deep <laughs> question. Loaded. That is such a deep question. I know when you sent it over, I was like, oh Lord, <laughs> bring some <Yeah>. remembrance. <laughs> Um, because I don't think any of us want to admit these kind of these kind of things. Um, but for what stood out to me the most is growing up, um, I really enjoyed meeting Tori. You know, um, I connected so much with her story. Um, I am mixed. My mom is actually Jewish and and my father is African American. And um growing up at that time, I am 50. <laughs> um, and so growing up in middle school, high school was tough um, because there was probably like less than five of us, you know, walking around on campus. And I was too dark for the white girls, but too light for the black girls. And so I really felt isolated in knowing where I fit and where I belong. Um, especially my mom is a messianic Jew. So that actually, you know, added some other things to it. <laughs> and my dad, my dad is an atheist, not the the stepdad that raised me, but my dad is an atheist. So that kind of like messes you up as far as trying to figure out where you belong. And so I struggled with that growing up. Um, also, I was, um, because I was mixed, my hair texture was different and I was very big busted. And I would intentionally wear big shirts to try to hide it. Like I just really struggled with that. So then getting older, um, that kind of messes with you. And it took a while. So my mentors that we mentioned about the disciple dust, um, my spiritual mother really helped me to uh, embrace how God created me, um, which I love Psalms 139 
um, that talks about uh, that I thanking him for being wonderfully complex. You know, I tell my friend says, I'm so simple, it's complex. <laughs> I like to think that I'm very simple, but she said, I'm so simple, it's complex. But I've had to learn to just love the complexities of how he has created me. Um, and once I did that and became confident in that, um, in 2011, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and my whole physical appearance changed. I gained like 60 pounds in a matter of two months. Um, so because of all the weight gain, my structure, and it was weight gain from the medication. So it wasn't weight gain that was even because there are some people who are heavy that look beautiful, but I was heavy in weird places and it just looked odd. I was heavy in places I shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, there was nothing going on good about it. Um, and it was probably the worst time of my marriage. My husband didn't touch me because he was look literally looking at me like, this is not my wife. I don't know who this is. He had recently just lost his brother, his sister to cancer. Um, a couple of years later, his brother was murdered. So he's looking at my wife is sick. She looks weird. I've already seen two people die. Like what is going on? Um, and because he wasn't touching me now, I felt worthless. Um, you know, I just was like, where is my place as a mother, as a wife? Am I going to live just all these things? And I remember my spiritual mother directing me to first Peter three, because first Peter three is actually what helped win my husband over to Christ. Uh, Cause my husband was uh, coming out of the Muslim faith when I first met him. And now he is a born again Christian. So that's a whole nother testimony. <laughs> but um, she encouraged me because she knew how much I shredded first Peter three apart. Um, she told me, go back to first Peter three. And I did. And when I did and, and realized that in the, in verses three through five, they talked about the women of the old, the way they beautified themselves was putting their trust in God. And to me, what that showed me was even though I overcame this one hurdle that I had mentally about myself, I got confident in, in what I knew in Christ, but then I was hit with something unexpectedly. And now I'm doubting everything that I learned um, that helped me build this confidence. But when it said that they beautify themselves in their trust in God, I realized that at that moment, while I was looking completely different, I wasn't, I was putting more trust in the way I was looking, what the medication was doing than in the great physician himself. And once I realized that I had wrote it up on an index card, I put it on the mirror in my bathroom and it didn't change. The weight didn't change. The medication didn't change, but because my mental state changed about it, I went out and bought bigger clothes. At first I was sitting in the, in the, um, the fitting room crying tears were just coming down my face because you know in the fitting room that lighting now I'm I mean it already looked horrible <laughs> to begin with but to have that light shining on you in the big old mirror I was like oh lord is this even necessary but for my mental state for my husband for my children it was because I was walking around looking how I felt and because I wasn't embracing the season and trusting that God was going to do something, I was refusing to buy bigger clothes. I wasn't putting makeup on. I was walking around upset because I was, you know, looking how I felt. I bought bigger clothes. I started putting on makeup. I was trusting in God, which meant I had to have index cards all over the house. <laughs> you know, like it was in the car. It was everywhere. Worship music, like 
it became, I had to eat and breathe the word so that I could feel better. And before you knew it, the weight started coming off. And that just has really helped me during that, that season. But what it also showed me was how we can grow in one area of the Lord and then later be tested. Once we feel like we've passed it, that test later be tested in that same area. So if you don't mind, I might go right off, off of what you said. And instead of going down the dark, dim road that I could go down, which was a nine-year stretch, what I did learn from David and what I learned through having that, that faith and that belief was that we have to let come out of our mouth what we want to see, what he wants to see, and not so much what we are seeing. So when... Uh, hardships and challenges and bumps in the road would come along, I remember being very purposeful, very intentional, and very disciplined to change what I wanted to say out of sheer frustration or sadness or whatever the thing was that was, you know, underlying, you know, the emotions and say, do what David did which was why so downcast on my soul. And I remember specifically that I will sing songs and hymns and spiritual melodies unto the Lord. I remember intentionally doing what you finally got to. It took me nine years of talking to myself. Mm. I always say I had nine years of loss. It was ridiculous. And I think I shared it when I when we uh, did the original um, taping that I had lost my 43-year-old cousin, which in itself was tragic. But at the time, my husband had just asked for a divorce. We were separated. And now we're at this wake together. And my other, the younger brother of, of my cousin said, I want to play a song devoted to my brother. And it was my wedding song. And I had to just endure. I put my sunglasses in. I did the weeping behind the sunglasses. And I remember standing in that funeral parlor, praising the Lord. Because he said, in the muck, in the worst part, praise me. Thank me. And if you can do that, if anybody could find it, I, don't, I know you have to like dig it up from the depths of your soul to be disciplined enough like David did to do that. I can't even, I can't even report the, the spiritual growth the beauty that can come out of such horrible situations. And that's why he says he'll work everything for our good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, because we are going to take that horrible situation or that life season, whatever it may be, and find it in ourselves to discipline our mouths, to speak what he says, not what I feel like saying, not what my emotions want to drudge up, but what he says in the face of all of that, it's a game changer. 
it, and you know, if we could teach our kids young to do this so that they have, it's like, it's that their um, spiritual warfare, you know, if they have that arsenal of things to say, I am this, I have this, I can do this. What a difference. What That's a difference right. The word is the one offensive weapon we have in the armor that we learn about in Ephesians 6. That is good. That is good. Such great recommendations here. Thank you, ladies. December? Um, you know, we all have challenges. And um, I think that I think they're all some of them are purposeful. Some of them are self-induced. We do them to ourselves. <laughs> but I think some of them are so purposeful to get us to where we need to be in our identity. Um, and some of them are actually, you know, forced upon us as children, um, depending on who your parents are. So I, my, I, I was born to a teen mom and I'm the oldest and, and um, you know, being raised up with that. And my sister kind of helps me with that. She said, you know what mom had us, she had three kids before she was 19. And that means we had to grow up with her. And she goes, and the sad part about growing up with her was that we had to see all her mess and all her good stuff. And now I'm able to interpret that, but when you're little and you're going through that and you're eight years old and you don't understand what's going on, your identity gets played with big time. So growing up with a mom who's a you know teen mom and you know, there was a moment where we had stability, but we were homeless most of my life. And I'm not talking about, oh, we just live with grandma. Oh, we live with auntie. I'm talking about, we live in the basement of a church. We slept on a school bus. We lived in an actual homeless shelter. We've stayed with strangers that we had no clue who they were. That can play with you all kinds of ways, right? And so I was really, really bright in school. I was really smart. And um, I had got all these scholarships to go to college for engineering. So of course, I'm going to be an engineer. Did I ask God? No. Um, was I good at it? Yes. But did engineers make money? Yes. Why would I be an engineer? Because I will never be homeless again. And I, I mean, I probably put that on my heart. I mean, I knew scriptures, just like Christine said, grandma taught me scriptures. You, you quote these things. I am, you know, the head and not the tail. I'm the lender and not the borrower. But when I went to college, I was getting ready to go to college to make money. That was all that mattered to me. And I had a pivotal moment with God um, when I went on an international student exchange to Japan and, um, and it wasn't it. Engineering wasn't it. I was like so unhappy. Like the world would tell you, girl, you're tripping. This is just a phase. Get over it. You got a full ride scholarship. Your dorms are paid for. Your meals are paid for. You don't have to worry about anything. You won't have student loans. This is what's going on in my head, right? Oh, and then my family. Our first black black woman engineer. You know, all of these titles. And I'm hearing all of that way louder than what God created me to be. So I'm still, I'm in my junior year. I mean, like you do not turn around in your junior year because you were in full blown engineering classes. And I remember walking into the advisor's office and being like, I have to switch my major. And she looked at me like, okay, you're, you're currently going through a crisis. Maybe you need to go to counseling. Maybe it's just really stressful. And I said, I'm getting straight A's in all my classes. It is not stressful. I am miserable. And she was like, you know, you're going to lose your scholarships and you're going to have to move out of the dorms. I mean, to tell a homeless kid 
that the thing that she has stability in, and not, I didn't go to college in my own state. I went two states up. I'm in Idaho. Nobody even knew where that was on the map, right? So I'm in Idaho. You're telling me this Black kid who's been homeless all her life that she's going to have to move out of dorms. I mean, panic kicked in real quick, right? So I stayed in engineering for one more semester. I get home for Christmas break and I'm laying on the couch and my grandmother's looking at me being miserable all by myself. And my grandmother said, did you ever ask God what he wanted you to be? And I said, no, I didn't. And she goes, I think you need to get to asking. And that Christmas break, you know, college Christmas breaks long. So I, winter break, I'm like, like, what do you want me to do with my life? And when he said education, I think everybody in the world was probably like, you are crazy. Teachers don't make money. <laughs> so I go back to college that semester. Now I'm a full junior and a whole semester behind me. And I switched to uh, education. And it felt like when I said, okay, Jeremiah 29, here's the plans I have for you. And the plans are to, to prosper you and get you to an expected end. I felt like I was on somebody else's road the entire time. And by the time I accepted that I was supposed to be in education, it felt like someone had air, airlifted me and dropped me on the plan, the road that I was supposed to be on. And I just felt so at peace about who I was in that moment. Like, it was like, oh my word, for three and a half years, I've been stressing out trying to be something everyone else said I would be good at. I even took those stupid tests. This is what you'll be good at when you grow older. And they, they, were, they were great, but it wasn't who I was supposed to be. And I struggled with that for so long that it still kind of plagues me and I'm 42 now. And so it, 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 there are moments when... Um, um, I had a daughter who was born with special needs. And while we're sitting in ICU and we're looking at the bank account like dwindle, right? Because I'm not working. The enemy is just like, you know, if you were an engineer, you would have had way more money than that. And your savings account would have been way bigger than that. And you, it just, it just plays with my identity so long because I didn't change my engineer, engineering to education until I was about 22 years old. I went to college, you know, you've been in college for three and a half years. So it played with me for so long that it still messes with me. But I always go back to I'm his workmanship and I'm doing exactly what he told me to do in this season. And it brings me peace. So the challenges of having to face what the world says you're good at versus what God said I created you to be at, because we're all good at something, but it doesn't mean that he created you to do that. And that's where my identity struggled a lot with being that homeless child to being very competent and very intelligent. And the world loves that, right? They love when you get intelligent. You have discipline. Oh, they love disciplined people. They applauded me, awards, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I actually said, God, what do you want me to be with for the rest of my life? What do you want me to do? And what do you want me to be? And I don't struggle with my identity as much as I did then, but I, it's because I knew that I was not doing what he wanted me to do. Mm. I appreciate that each and every one of you spoke about the cyclical nature that we experience, you know, when it comes to confronting old issues and insecurities that we have struggled with in our past and how it can show up at literally any age. So, I mean, sis, regardless of where you are in your life in this season, we are all here together pressing into the Lord, inviting him to renew our minds so that we may be more like him. 
Uh, that little issue that David had with Bathsheba was not the last issue that David had with his identity in the Lord. The last one that he had brought incredible pain to all of Israel. But God was faithful. And that is what we come back to in every single moment of our lives. We remember that our identity is not found in the mistakes that we've made. It is found in the Lord's mercy. Kimberly, would you pray for us as we prepare to close? Heavenly Father, we just, we come before you, Lord, because we know that together in the spirit, there is no distance, that there is unity. That is the beautiful thing about being in relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for every sister who is listening, Father, who may be struggling with her identity, who isn't unsure about who she is or what you have called her to do, or if her life means anything because of what she's done or what she hasn't done. First and foremost, Father, we pray over her spirit, her soul, and her mind that you would touch her, Lord that you would show yourself to her, that she would know that in you, she is enough, that everything she has is in you. We ask, Father God, for a spirit of boldness and courage to overflow all of us to walk in the newness of who we are in Christ. We may not feel like it. We may not identify with it, but help us, Lord, to transfigure ourselves into you more and more each day as we pick up the word of God, the mirror of who we are in Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are using us in ways that we don't even know how because we are surrendered first and foremost to you because we want to honor you, because we love you, because we are in personal relationship with you. Help us, Father, to remove bondage and baggage that may make us feel less than and help us to remember who we are. I would speak blessing over every woman who is listening and ask Father God that you would just strengthen that woman right now where she is. Give her a supernatural measure of grace and strength to do the things you have called her to do in her home, in her workplaces, and in her community, Lord, that she may be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.